morning. Good to see y'all here this morning. Um, we are going to try to get through uh, Acts 14. You know, over the last couple of weeks, um, Corey and Ryan have walked us through chapter 13, covering the first part of Paul and Barnabas' trip, their first missionary journey. Now, you guys can uh, figure this out on your own, but Corey and Ryan got to split chapter 13, and I got to do all of chapter 14. So I, I, I don't know how that works out, but sometimes that's, that's the way it goes, right? So to get us started this morning, what I wanted to do was quickly kind of remind us of a few things uh, from those sermons as we kind of launch into chapter 14. Uh, and to help us with that review today, I've asked the guys in the back, and you go ahead and pop it up there if you want to, to put a map back up. Uh, Ryan did this last week, and uh, Ryan and I were talking this morning. I'm not a big map guy, but I do feel it's especially helpful when Scripture is throwing these names of these cities at us, uh, kind of rapid fire, to kind of understand where they're located, how far apart they are. You know, if we were throwing names like Anniston and Jacksonville and Oxford and Birmingham, and that was part of our scripture, y'all would all just intuitively know where that's at, what it meant to travel from one place to the other and things like that. But the map will help us with that. I'm going to ask them to leave it up there. And for me, it kind of helps me comprehend where they're going and what they're doing. So thanks, guys, for throwing that up there. So last week from Corey's sermon, or excuse me, from a couple of weeks ago, Corey's sermon, Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church at Antioch. Now, I'm going to make a differentiation. You noticed on my map, I modified it and called it Big Antioch. We're going to have another Antioch today, and it's important not to get those confused. So that's Big Antioch that's up there. So they left Big Antioch, and you'll remember it says that they were set apart by the Holy Spirit to the work to which he had called them. So they set sail from Big Antioch to the island of Cyprus, and they proclaimed the word of God across that island in the Jewish synagogues. And then here is where we met on, uh, on that island, where we met Bar-Jesus, the magician, who opposed them before the proconsul. And you'll remember that God, through Paul, struck that magician blind. And seeing this, the proconsul actually believed. So the theme kind of runs through Acts. You're going to see it if you back up and go back and look at what we've already been through and going forward, even in today and beyond today, that there's miracles, and the miracles always point to the message. And you see that in the magician and the proconsul. The, even though it was a negative miracle, the magician being struck the way he was was to point to the truth of Paul's message. And that's what happened, and you saw the proconsul believe. And then with Ryan last week, Paul and his group again set sail and went north across the water there to Perga and on inland to Antioch. And here we are at Little Antioch, we'll call it. So it's Little Antioch in there. And while in the synagogue there, Paul was asked to deliver a message of encouragement to the people, and he did so. You'll remember in that message, Paul kind of surveyed the history of Israel, mentioning key events and people through their history. He reminded them of God's choosing them, prospering them, rescuing them from the Pharaoh, delivering them out of Egypt, and ultimately to the Promised Land. He made that transition through their spiritual fathers to David and ultimately to Christ. This was the part that the Jews had a tough time making the, the connection to from their religious and uh, history to Christ. He ID'd the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, and all as fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament. He tells them that if they believe in Christ, 
their sins will be forgiven. Now, what did I just go through? It's the gospel, right? He presented the gospel of Christ true to them. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear again what Paul and Barnabas had to say. Now, this caused a problem. You'll remember there were some unbelieving Jews, and they were jealous, and they confronted Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas were not discouraged, and they spoke boldly to the opposition that was before them. The Jews incited the leaders, and they drove Paul and Barnabas out of town. Y'all think about that. Any of y'all ever been driven out of town? I know we get worried if so-and-so doesn't like us or posts something that we don't like on Facebook. Driven out of town. Think about how that affects you emotionally, or it might affect you. Despite this treatment, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Think about what's going on inside of them as all of this stuff external to them is happening. So things to keep in mind as we go forward, things to kind of that will tie in from last week to this week. Paul and Barnabas were on a mission that they were initiated to do by the Holy Spirit. And they met opposition along the way. It's not going to stop with last week. It's going to continue this week. They met opposition in the musician. They met opposition in the Jews at Little Antioch to the point that they ran them out of town. Yet Paul and Barnabas continued doing what it was they were asked to do. They continued to put Christ on display to those that they had an opportunity to do so with. I also want to remind you that how Christ was presented to the Jews. What points did he make? The sermon hit on a, as a crescendo to Christ. It, it was, the sermon was based on their Jewish history, but it crescendoed into Christ and the gospel. You'll see a different approach this week when Paul speaks to a different crowd. So the map catch up. You see what Paul and Barnabas have done. They sailed from Big Antioch to Cyprus. They worked their way through that island, sailed again up to Perga, traveled by land to Little Antioch, and then they're driven out of Little Antioch and are headed to Iconium. That's where we finished last week and where we pick up this week. So let's look at chapter 14. I'm going to break it down into three sections uh, just so that I, you don't have to hear me read a whole lot at one time. Break it down to three sections for us. Let's start with verses 1 through 7. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So what's going on in this new city? They've been run out of Little Antioch. They've gotten down to Iconium. What's going on? Nothing new, right? The same thing. Paul and Barnabas go to the Jewish synagogue and share the gospel. As a matter of fact, they share the gospel in such a way, the scripture says that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believe. What has always happened when Paul and Barnabas share their message and when there's uh, activity in response to their message? Opposition rises up, right? 
The unbelieving Jews poisoned the people against Paul and his group. And then verse 3. I I love how it reads. So one says they entered the city, they entered the synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Two says then people poisoned them against Paul and Barnabas. What's their response? They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Really? It, continually, they, they do this, right? Opposition, it's almost like it makes them more fervent in what they're doing. This opposition mounts in the new city just like it's mounted in the past. And what do the, the disciples do, or the apostles do? They double down, and they double down hard. So the city's divided in two, the apostles and those that are against them. Now, if you're a glass-half-empty person, you might say, this is kind of bad. Half the people were against you. How would you feel if half the people in the city were against you? But let's not forget the other half. Let's not forget there's half of the city that heard what Paul had to say, and their lives have been changed for an eternity, even if it was one, let alone a large group. Their lives have been changed for an eternity. As in previous cities, a group is rallied to mistreat Paul and Barnabas. Even it says they were going to stone them. So at this point, Paul and Barnabas leave. And what did they do along the way? You guessed it. You saw it there in verse 7. They continued to preach the gospel. It's like a recurring theme. Now, back in verse 3, we mentioned that uh, God was granting signs and wonders. And Luke elaborates on one of these here as we move into verse 8. In the next city that Paul and Barnabas come to, that's Lystra. So let's read verse 8 and beyond there. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring the good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even these words, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So here they come to Lystra, uh, the cities of Lystra and Derby. Uh, they're in Laconia. You need to understand on the map there, so you got an idea of how much that distance is. From Lystra, it was about 18 miles to Iconium. Derby was about 40 miles southeast of Lystra. 
So you got an idea of how far they've traveled. Paul gets to Lystra, and during a casual conversation, and that really is pulled from the kinds of words that are used there when it says uh, he was listening to Paul speaking. During this casual conversation, Paul notices that there's a man sitting that could not use his feet. Now, Scripture tells us he's been that way since birth. Don't run past these words. Uh, anybody ever had a cast on your leg for a while or your arm? I was unfortunate enough to have a knee surgery in my mid-20s, so maybe I was in a little bit better shape then than I am now, and had a cast on for several weeks. And I remember the first time we took that cast off, um, what my leg looked like. Uh, it looked like raw meat hanging on a bone. It was kind of sad. Uh, as you looked at it, it looked as though it wouldn't operate properly. Now, this was a leg that hadn't been used really in a few weeks. This was a grown man who hadn't used his feet his entire life. Let's be conservative and say the guy was 20. So for 20 years, the flesh and bone have not operated right. So it would make my leg look really good, right? My, the condition of my casted leg looked really good. And what did the man do? He immediately jumped up, sprang up, the scripture says, and began walking. Don't underestimate what has just happened here. This is not a TV evangelist telling somebody, you can walk without that cane, right? This is a guy who's got feet that don't work, that don't have the structure to work. This is a supernatural healing from God through the hands of Paul and Barnabas. What was the people's assumption? Well, they knew it was a God thing. They just were assuming it was the wrong kind of God thing. It must have been from one of the gods that they worshipped. They assumed that Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes, and they are appearing to them as, common, as a common man. Now, when Paul and Barnabas figure this out, they discern what's happening, they responded by tearing their clothes. Now, that may seem a little odd. Any of y'all ever gotten really mad and just tore your clothes? Yeah, me neither. Uh, so, you know, a little bit about what that is. You know, back in this day, clothes are not as plentiful as they are now, right? You've got closets full of clothes. You can go to Target or Walmart or whatever your store of choice is and buy clothes off the rack, ready, ready to go. Clothes certainly not as plentiful back then as they are now. And when someone tore their clothes, it was a big deal, a really big deal. They were making an extreme statement. They're extremely upset. So why was Paul so upset? The miracle was not pointing to the message he wanted them to hear. They were making the wrong assessment about who to give credit for this supernatural happening to. They were crediting a mythological God and, God, and Paul was pointing to the God of the universe, the living God. It couldn't be more contrary to what Paul and Barnabas were trying to accomplish with the message that they were delivering. So Paul rushes to the crowd and he tells them, after he's torn his clothes, he tells them, he and Barnabas are men just like them. They are not these gods, these mythological gods. He wastes no time giving them the words that he wants them to hear. Let the miracle point to the intended message. He says, we bring you good news. Kids, what's good news? The gospel. He tells them of the living God. This is a farming community. He puts it in terms that they would understand. He says, the living God has evidenced himself to you. You see the living God in the rains, 
that have come for your crops, the fruitful season that the living God has, has provided for you. He satisfies your hearts and your belly, he tells them. It is recognizable not only from his sustained creation, from what you see around him, but by his providential care, how it is that you're still alive and kicking. In other words, God does not leave himself without witness. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God and His creative power and His providence testify so that man has no question about His existence. But the speech scarcely restrains the people from treating Paul and Barnabas like the gods that they were trying to treat them as. Where in the world could this be going? It sounds like this has failed. Even though Paul was absolute in stating who he and Barnabas were not, the people still wanted to offer sacrifice. So we've got a miracle that's pointing to a message, and it looks as though it's not working. Let's read on. 19 through 28. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Presidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they, had, that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained with them, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas are still in Lystra, and the Jews come, Lystra, and the Jews come from the two cities where they had previously been. You see them on the map there. They came from where they had previously been, uh, Antioch and Iconium. And they continued to chase after them. Now, again, the, the map doesn't show it, but from Antioch to Iconium, it's about 80 miles. 80 miles is not that big of a deal. It's another 20 from Iconia to Lystra. So in our world, 100 miles is not that big of a deal, right? A couple of hours on the road, except they didn't have cars. The really wealthy had animals to travel on. So how bad do they want to poison the minds of these people against Paul and Barnabas that they would make a hundred mile trip walking at worst and riding an animal at best? They're pretty serious about 
getting after Paul and Barnabas. And they succeeded. They persuaded the crowds to stone Paul and drag him out of the city, leaving him for dead. One minute, Paul is in Lystra, and he's a god to be worshipped. A few minutes later, or a little bit of time later, and he's so bad that he needs to be killed for what he's doing. You talk about a mob mentality. Probably a sermon for another time, but I wonder at this moment in time as Paul is being stoned, if he remembered the day that he led the stoning against Stephen. He would have remembered how it was watching as that person's being stoned as now the rocks are being thrown at him. He likely would have remembered the impact that that had on him, especially around that Damascus Road time as he thought back after that experience what was going on with Stephen as he asked those st- God to forgive those that were stoning him. Think about where Paul's at there. What impact would Paul's stoning have on those that are now witnessing it? Let's see. Verse 20 says, the disciples gathered around him. So there were new, be- new believers in Lystra, and this was a crisis situation for them. The person that spoke to them, that shared the word with them, that shared the gospel with them, is now being stoned by the others in the city and left for dead. They were certainly in the minority. Their future would probably look bleak, but yet they stood by Paul. It's likely, the scripture doesn't explicitly say this, but they probably didn't just gather around to watch him die. It's likely they gathered around and prayed for him. Another side possibility here, Timothy's from Lystra. Not in our scripture, but I just want you to remember that Timothy's from Lystra. You wonder if he's not part of those that are observing what's going on here. Sidebar. You can run that one down yourself. So they stoned him. They left him for dead. And then what does Paul do when he gets back on his feet? Back into the city. And then from there, the next day they went on to Derby. He and Barnabas go to Derby. What did they do in Derby? Same thing. Preached the gospel, made more disciples, same focus, different city. These guys are continuing to be on mission. So when they finished in Derby, they headed back the way they came. Verse 21 and 22 says, They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now, I didn't get, get past Lystra. They did what? They're going back to the city that stoned him and left him for dead? Why? Why would they do this? You see it there in the scripture. It says, to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, tribulation will come. Paul and Barnabas were not thinking of themselves but of those new Christians who needed spiritual help and guidance. What did he tell them when he was encouraging them? (laughs) Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He's telling them trials will come, but you must walk through them. Now, how much weight do you think this is carrying to those that are listening 
to the guy they saw get stoned for what he was saying. The next time you're in 1 Corinthians and you read, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Take note of what Paul is actually calling you to do. He's not just talking the talk. He's walking the walk. He's living this concept out before those disciples in Lystra and us as well. No wonder Paul and Barnabas would later in Acts gain the reputation for being men who, out of Acts 15, hazarded, hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's indicting for me. Don't know that you can say that about me. And in verse 23, as they're making their way back through Lystra and Iconium and little Antioch, it says that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in every church. Which churches did they appoint the elders in? One of them, a couple of them, most of them, every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. What are they doing? Paul and Barnabas are passing through. They understand that God's the one that's going to have to sustain these folks. These uh, newly formed churches, these groups of Christians that would meet together, needed leadership. After Paul left, these leaders would have emerged and been recognized after he came through the first time. And persecution is coming, and Paul wants to encourage these folks and organize the church so that they're ready to face the persecution. They're going to need strong leadership to get through it. So why is this return trip so noteworthy? This return trip back through where they've already evangelized. Evangelism is not enough. It is important. It is what we're called to do. But there must be teaching and encouragement from the Word. This is why Paul established local churches wherever God led him. He wasn't going to be there forever. This is why we are part of a local church. We need encouragement and teaching. The local church is one of the one place that the believer should be able to get a dependable diet of spiritual food. Christian fellowship discovers opportunity for service and strength and be strengthened on a regular basis. Evangelistic organizations and programs have a function. We are responsible to evangelize, but none of those can replace the local church. So after establishing the churches, leaders within the church, and ordaining those leaders, Paul and Barnabas backtracked to the coast and sailed back to Antioch, all the way back to big Antioch. There, they gathered the church together and reported what had happened, all that had happened on the trip. Think about that. You know, a lot of times when we get a missionary that is reporting on what's going on, you know, we kind of get the highlights. But this is a little bit different, right? Big Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out. They sent them out on a mission. They were set apart by the Holy Spirit. And all of the trials and the tribulations and all of the victories that were experienced, they're now getting to share those with the church that sent them. They told them how God had opened doors of faith. Imagine the celebration. Imagine the encouragement that Paul and Barnabas are getting as they are back with their home church, so to speak, getting encouraged by them for what they had, uh, with, with relating the story for what had transpired. 
Verse 28 says they spent a great deal of time with them. This two-way encouragement went on for quite a while between Paul and Barnabas and the church at Big Antioch. So we've told the, we read the story, we've kind of retold what happened, but what's this mean to me and you? What is God sharing with us? So we know that we too are required to be on mission as Christians. That does not necessarily mean we need to get in the boat and sail to Cyprus. But it does mean we need to be on mission. So think about the things that happened on this first mission. If I back up and get out of the details and think bigger picture. On this first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were, were engaged with several ministries. First, they preached the gospel and made disciples. You heard it. Everywhere they went, no matter the conditions, they preached the gospel. When they went in the new town, they preached the gospel. When they went back in an old town, they preached the gospel. They were preaching the gospel and making disciples. Even if you go back in 13, in the review that we did, same thing was going on at the first part of this missionary trip. No matter where they went, same thing. And lives were changed eternally. Second, they discipled new believers. We saw this especially as they headed back through towns that they'd already been in. They taught them the things of Christ. Deeper than just the basis of the gospel, more, more than that, they taught them, uh, grew them in Christ. It's difficult to believe that they went back to some of the places they'd been run out of, stoned out of, but it was important enough because those Christians need to be encouraged. They needed their faith strengthened. It was important to Paul and Barnabas. Paul made it very clear that living the Christian life was not an easy thing, that they would have to expect trials. You guys think that holds true to us? Now, we may or may not be stoned. We may or may not be run out of a city. Maybe we're ostracized. You pick your trial, right? If I went around the room, we're all, we've all got a different set of trials that we're dealing with. The local church strengthens us. Paul said through these trials, through these sufferings, you're ultimately going to see the Lord, but you've got to get through those trials to do that. Perseverance is proof of true faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wanted these new Christians to persevere. Thirdly, they organized the churches. You saw that. Uh, you know, the local church is not, is not just an organization. It's an organism. But as an organism, it needs to be organized. God is not a God of chaos. To function properly, God's church must be organized. Paul and Barnabas established those churches and ordained spiritual leaders. They were given the responsibility of caring for the flock. If everyone is responsible, do you know who is responsible? No one. So all, right, all of y'all are in charge, but if no one is personally responsible, then there is no responsibility held. That's why he ordained these leaders to carry that responsibility for these churches. And finally, as another thing that Paul did on this ministry, the first three were kind of outward facing, those that they would minister to, but the next ones they ministered to their church that they sent them, that sent them. Finally, they reported to that church all that God had done. They'd been gone at least a year. Must have been exciting for them and the church when they arrived back home. They had fulfilled the work that God had sent them out to do, had set them apart to do. 
This report would include all of the opposition, all of the trials, all of the stories of those that were saved, all of the stories of those that were discipled, all of the stories of those being encouraged, the miracles that had happened, all of those that are now walking for the Lord that prior to Paul and Barnabas getting there were lost and knew, did not know God. So Paul and Barnabas had quite the journey. Their resume looks real good. They've accomplished a lot. Um, they're in the top three on the missionary ranking board that is posted in November. Uh, but let's take a closer look at verse 27. I won't, don't want you to miss it because it was just a couple of words. But I want you to see the heart of Paul and Barnabas. Yeah, they did these things. Yes, they reported it to the church. But they gave God the glory. You see it there in verse 7. It says, they declared all that God had done. All right, backtrack with me. Go back up to verse 3. Because I ran through it and we may have missed it. But I want you to hear, this is not just something they're doing because they're saying because they're back at church and they got to say all the right words. Listen to all that they say throughout these scriptures that we've read. In verse 3 it says, So they remained with them for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. It sounds like that's Paul and Barnabas, right? Boldly for the Lord, who? The Lord bore witness to the word of His grace. So they were speaking, but God was bearing witness to the word, his word, of, the word of His grace. God was granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They weren't doing it. God was doing it through their hands. They spoke boldly, but God bore witness. They did signs and wonders, but God granted them. God's the one that healed the man who hadn't used his feet since birth. Verse 15, as he's giving his sermon to those that want to claim he and Barnabas are mythological gods, he says, God made the heavens and the earth and the sea. God did not leave himself without witness. God provided rains and fruitful seasons. God satisfied hearts and bellies. In verse 20, when they gathered around Paul as he was stoned and left for dead, and they were praying, who do you think they were praying to? These are fairly new Christians. What do you think got them to the point where they thought, hey, we'll go stand around this guy and he won't die? Think about what has already been instilled in them from Paul and Barnabas? Maybe a little bit tougher question. Who do you think allowed Paul to be stoned? Who saved Paul? Do you see any reason, anything that would tell you that Paul getting stoned would be a good thing from an eternal perspective? Now look, I'm not signing up for that, right? That is not what I'm signing up for. But it just goes to show you their perspective. Paul and Barnabas are not looking about looking at what they're doing with their hands, how eloquently they're speaking, how many people are being saved or converted. They're looking at how much glory God is getting through all of this. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they did what? They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They didn't say, you guys are going to do a good job because we picked you and we think y'all are going to make great leaders. They entrusted the new leadership to the Lord. 
not to the instruction they left them with, not to themselves. Paul knew that they, the new leaders, will have to rely on God, just like he and Barnabas did. And then in verse 26, it reminds us that from the very beginning, it said there, they had been commended to the grace of God for the work. From the get-go, God had a work that he was going to do in them. Not God cranked them up and put them out there and let them go get it done. That's not what happened. They were instruments through which God was going to complete his work. The Holy Spirit called them to the mission. The Holy Spirit worked through them while on mission. And then finally in verse 27, and I mentioned it already, we see the summary of the mission. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith. So, who sailed to Cyprus? Who sailed from Cyprus to Little Antioch? Who went to Lystra and got ran out of all these towns? Who got stoned at Lystra? Who, y'all see where I'm going here? It wasn't Paul. It was, but he was just the instrument. You know, I know if, if you were to call me a tool, I might be offended. But isn't that really what we're talking about here? Aren't we just instruments in the hand of the living God? We are to be on mission. Persecution, emotional, mental, physical abuse, none of that mattered to Paul and Barnabas. They were still tools that were being used for the mission that he had before them. God sustaining grace. God saving many, God growing these young Christians, God leading the elders at these newly established churches. All this happened because God orchestrated it through Paul and Barnabas. They didn't take the credit. At the risk of giving the answer for all the questions that you get that are tough about your Christian walk, why for God's glory alone? We are to be on mission, just like Paul and Barnabas, for God's glory. Not so that we can say, we added another building, or we built a bigger sanctuary, or you know, we added five staff members, or none of that. Or do you know how many people that Carlton brought to the Lord? None of that. It's for God's glory alone. Uh, in the men's meeting this morning, we were talking about... Um, at one point, talking about the angels of heaven long to look into what God does through us. Not that God took lowly Carlton Brown and made him stand up in the pulpit, talk Carlton Brown. No. That God's glory is Carlton being on mission when Carlton does something so that someone else knows who God is. Not that Carlton gets the accolade so that more know about God. For God's glory alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, forgive us, forgive me when so often um, it is easy to get caught up in doing for the sake of doing, for finishing a job, for accomplishing a goal. And I know in and of itself there's nothing wrong with those things. 
unless the motive is anything other than being on mission for you. It's why you put us here on this earth. It's why you've given us the rains and the crops and life itself in our bodies. It's why you save us. It's so that we can be your ambassadors. Lord, I pray is maybe in the coming weeks, coming days, we think back over what's happened in chapters 13 and 14 in Acts and the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas are on that we can see in ourselves how we can be on mission, how we can share Christ despite any opposition and regardless of what location we may be in. Lord, we know that none of this happens except your spirit is in us because in and of ourselves we're not going to do it. And I pray that's what has happened here this morning, that your spirit can change us. I pray these things in your name. Amen.